I'm reading from Genesis, book two, beginning at book two, chapter 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said... You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. And I'm reading from Matthew, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil... He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The word of the Lord. 
Please join me in a prayer. Bless, O holy God, the Word on this day, that our hearts might be full, that our eyes might be open, that we might walk in the grace of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. May your eyes be opened on this day. This is a blessing, a blessing we hear in the Bible from time to time. And for some who hear this blessing, they might hear this blessing not as a blessing, but they might hear it as a curse. They might be reminded of the story of Adam and Eve and their eyes being opened, shamefully recognizing that they were naked. Or as one of my good preaching uh, you know, colleagues from the South always would say very forcefully in her you know, southern accent, and they were naked. To be naked. To be, to be naked is to be alone. I think that southern accent has some of the uh, anxiety embodied in it. To be naked is not to have obeyed the Lord's command. And to be naked means, in essence, to be human. Ironically, it's not something to be ashamed of. And so I want to encourage you on this day to look again at this story, maybe look at it a little differently, and to rid yourself of any layers of guilt surrounding it. The church theologians, preachers, pastors over the thousands of years have uh, put tons of guilt upon us, unfortunately, so it's hard to get rid of it. But when I say that may your eyes be opened, I only want to affirm the reality of our human living, the goodness of our human living, which causes us to reach out to God. We human beings are alone. We human beings do disobey the basic command to love one another. We do that all the time. We humans are humans, after all, aren't we? Thankfully, even though we human beings are alone, God has a greater capacity for relationship. One of the great reflections on Adam and Eve's nakedness was John Milton's poem, Paradise Lost. The last four lines of the poem are especially worth noting, reminding the reader that despite their expulsion from this garden, they face their new life together under God's watchful eye. In some ways, it's good news, but you got to look at it from a certain perspective. Milton's poem, the last four lines, goes like this, The world was all before them, where to choose their rest and providence their guide. They hand in hand with wandering steps and slow, though Eden took their solitary way. Milton's juxtaposition of the solitary way with the image of Adam and Eve walking hand in hand emphasizes that despite the losses that the two of them have suffered, and the distinct struggles that each of them will now face, they have not lost each other. They have not lost each other. Although sin and disobedience have driven them from paradise, Adam and Eve still retain the happier Eden of their love. But just to be clear, human companionship 
And thus, meaning in life is not exclusive to married heterosexual people. Human companionship transcends categories. It transcends brief descriptions, although allow me right now to try. The ending of the uh, you know, Fellowship of the Ring, the first film in Peter Jackson's adaptation of J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy, provides a striking example. Frodo Baggins. You guys all know Frodo? Frodo Baggins, Hobbit protagonist, is on this epic quest that only he can fulfill to destroy the one ring of power. I've got my ring on today. By throwing it into the fires of Mordor. And when it becomes clear that this epic quest, this journey is endangering his friends, he tries, he tries to run off to Mordor by himself. Yet he's tracked down by his dearest friend, his dearest caretaker, Samwise. Samwise Gamgee. Frodo waves him off and he shouts at him, I'm going to Mordor alone, Sam Gamwise. Undeterred, Sam yells back, Of course you are! And I'm coming with you! I like it. Like Milton's Adam and Eve, Frodo and Sam have their daunting quests to fulfill, their own vocations to inhabit, and yet their solitary journeys are made possible by the companionship that they provide for each other in mutuality. For us, as for Frodo and for Sam, relationships mitigate the fractures, the cracks wrought by human sin. To be human is to go it alone. Yet it is ironic that in our connected world of TV, internet, telephone, I got my phone up here right now. Amazing. Many of us have become even more isolated. Drawing on a vast amount of data, including some 500,000 interviews, an author named Robert Putnam created a book called Bowling Alone. And he demonstrates how increasingly isolated we are from family, from neighbors, from strangers, from people in our community, from our friends. According to Putnam, we visit with family and friends less frequently than we did 20 years ago, know our neighbors less well, belong to fewer social organizations, and as the very title suggests, bowl alone rather than participate in a bowling league. We are more alone and isolated than ever, despite living in a highly connected virtual community. Alone. Alone is a frightening word. To be alone. Being alone can mean having no friends, no family, no community. But being alone can also mean inhabiting a stretch of time all alone with nothing. No distractions, No TV, no magazines, no books, no video games. We tend to avoid that kind of aloneness even more. Most of us do anything possible not to have to go there. But let me say this. The wisest people in the world, in my experience, have always, have always chosen times of aloneness. They have chosen aloneness in order to open themselves to prayer, 
letting go, to making choices. Anthony the Great was one of the first of the so-called desert fathers and mothers who ventured alone into the wilderness hundreds and hundreds of years ago to confront the temptations and to struggle with God. The struggle to obey God. The struggle to live peacefully in community. It's hard to live in community. Anthony knew it. And he had to get away in order to come back. The time of solitude enabled Anthony to pursue a virtuous life of living into community with more clarity. And this is where Jesus chose to go too. Into the aloneness of wilderness, but to come back. In the aloneness of wilderness where he started his ministry, before he was a healer, before he was a teacher and a liberator, he chose aloneness. In the desert, Jesus considered unworthy alternatives to how he could spend his time or his energy. And he overcame them. Empty and vulnerable by choice, Jesus was brought face to face with the dark options, ones that we face, ones that you face each and every day. The dark options of another path. Another way that you could live. In those moments, He remembered who He was, who God declared to Him to be at the river just days before. My Son. My Son. When this tempting voice came to Him, Jesus could speak from this deep wellspring of knowing who He was. God's beloved Son. And what did He say? No. That's not the story. And the Bible, by the way, is quoting Scripture. The, uh, you know, Satan is quoting Scripture to Jesus. It's all, it's all biblical, but it's not the whole truth. It's not nothing but the truth. It's just a, a little partial truth. Jesus says, no, that's not the story. I'll tell you the story. The story is about God's grace, God's love, God's love for each one of you. However vast the differences between Jesus' relationship with God and our relationship, our broken relationships, we too are sons and daughters of God. We too are God's beloved. We too are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And so we hold on to each other's hands knowing that God will never abandon us. We do it with God beside us, and thus this changes our connection to one another. This changes our connection to one another in the pews, out in the streets, in the concert halls, on the beaches, on the roads, across borders. It changes our connections. Now, I can't explain it. I can't explain it, but there are times when we do prioritize alone time with God, time with God in prayer, so that we, through the power of the Spirit, can be more connected to the person next to us. Sometimes you might be tired of talking. Sometimes you might be tired of endless debates and arguing. And you know, that's the time to go into the wilderness. To enter into prayer with God and solitude with God. To be alone so that you can then come back and be together with your loved one, with your family, with your friends. With that person you aggressively disagree with regarding Trump or Bernie. When you go to the wilderness, you can come back refreshed, energized, and renewed. This time of Lent provides the opportunity, the same opportunity as a community to enter into a period of aloneness, of self-emptying, of ego denial in order to remember who we are, to empty ourselves. Those who are artists, those of you who are athletes, 
when you go into a competition, you've got to empty your mind of all the things that you've got to do, all the things that you've got to, to just do instinctively. You empty yourself in the wilderness so that you can be on when you need to, so you can be present when you need to be, so you can be a help in a time of trouble when you need to be. Lent, of course, points to the culmination in Holy Week where Jesus spoke in terms of this time of remembrance, remembrance that we are not alone. Even on the last night at table with His friends, Jesus said, what did He say? Do this in remembrance of Me. I think it's on our table, isn't it? Do this in remembrance of Me. Jesus actually said it twice over broken bread. He said, remember. Remember. So we look to Jesus. We look to the cross. And we recall all that He refused and all that He embraced. All the people that He loved. All that He gave for the sake of us all. We can live in the great remembrance of who we are. Whose we are. God's beloved sons and daughters. And so on this day, as we share this cup and bread, we're going to do more you know, sanitizer as we share in this meal. Your eyes may be open, and it might not because of the chemicals coming off the sanitizer, I hope. Your eyes may be open, remembering that you are human, and that you're in need of God's healing love. May your eyes be open. Also remember that God is always with us in the power and the saving grace of Jesus Christ. May our eyes be opened on this day.